are now listening to an inspirational message from the Greater Shallow Missionary Baptist Church, where Dr. Michael Wesley Sr. is pastor. Please join the service in progress.
been thinking about it all week is I just think it just speaks to what this message need to say today and I just want to just just do it like that just take your time and my hope is built yeah yeah that's where they want to go right now my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I cannot trust the sweetest spring but only on Jesus on Christ the solid rock I stand all of the ground This is just a marvelous yes, truth that I want yes, to build sir. on this morning. And it's what I want you to let your mind rest around. Because it is Christ. He's the foundation. He's the foundational truth of all that we believe and all that we hope in our hearts. If we build our lives on anything else. We're not going to be able to last. And that truth has just been just echoing in my mind. And I just wanted you to think about that for a moment. All of the ground. All of the ground. Father, we thank you now for this time in your presence. We pray now for the word as it shall come. That you would speak it so clear. That you would speak it so deep that none of us would escape. That our very lives would be changed. We thank you for loving us and blessing us and bringing us. Thank you for keeping us by your keeping power. Now lift again your human out of self. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Speak to us and through us in this moment. Bless the words in our mouth. Meditations on our heart, that it may be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. We're going to finish up the 10th chapter today. We're going to begin to look at verses 34 through 42 in the concluding series of thoughts on this passage think not I have come I am come to send peace on earth I came not to send peace but a sword if I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. 
And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. This is the word of God for the people of God. I want to preach this morning about discipleship distinctives. And the sub subject this morning is be so committed that if need be, forsake your family. Be so committed to Christ. And if need be, forsake your family. Now, I'm not asking you to run out on your family. That is the complete opposite of what is being said. Not when I just mentioned to you that I've been in marriage now 45 years. So that is not the issue. But what I am thankful for is that I did not have to sacrifice family for faith. Because we've been able to walk the road together. And, 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 but there are some circumstances in the process of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that levels of division are real. And I think that's what Jesus is really getting at. He, he's been talking to us and teaching us on the, the key to genuine discipleship. See, it's, it's a word now that we use a lot because it sounds religious. When people say that they are a disciple or they are a follower, it quote-unquote fits within the lingo of what it means to be a good Christian. But what Jesus has been trying to convey and has been saying to these disciples of his and to us that is not just that simple. See, there are some distinctions. There are some things that mark out the real from the false. And I want you to understand that this morning that there is, it's, it's so easy to say I am. But the Lord is pointing out what really tells you you are. We have seen it as we have looked at this entire 10th chapter. We've seen Jesus call these men, and we know their names, they're listed here, to become followers of him. And they left their homes, they left their families, they left their dreams, they left their hopes of a future to become a follower. And not knowing what the future would hold, they gave it all up for him. And in the process of his training them for what they would do for the rest of their life as Christ followers, he gave some specific instructions. He told them where to go, who to speak to, who not to. He told them what to say, what to carry, what not to carry. And he gave them power to be able to handle whatever they encountered. But the message as we have been trying to interpret it to you, was telescopic. It was for them at that period in history, but it telescopes all the way down through history to include those of us who have become Christ followers, and it will continue to include people all the way until Jesus returns. So it means us. In today's world, it's popular on Sunday to don a church and look dignified and holified and be respectable and have people think that I belong now. And we have thought that that was enough. But when we take a closer look at the teaching of Jesus, 
we see that genuineness has been a major theme throughout his teaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, for example, in Matthew chapter 5 earlier, he said to his disciples, he said, listen, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot even enter into the kingdom. And what he was implying is that there is such thing as a true righteousness and a such thing as a false righteousness. So there are a lot of people who have a form of righteousness, but it may not be the true righteousness of God. And to deal further in that theme, he said in Matthew chapter 7, on genuineness, he said, he said, enter in at the narrow gate. He said, wide is the way that, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many who go that way find it because narrow is the gate, and few be that find it. What he's implying there is that there seem to be two roads that lead to heaven. One is a broad way where everybody is on it. He said, but that's not the right way. He said, the way to genuine relationship with God is through the narrow way. And he said, few be that find that. So he's talking about genuineness. And then he gives another illustration of it. He says, he says not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. There are a lot of folk that say, Lord, Lord. But they are not necessarily true believers. And even in, in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, he tells another illustration of it. He talks about a man who went out, a farmer who went out to sow seed one day. And he says, some of the seed fell on the, the hard ground. And the birds of the air came and picked it up. And some of the seed fell in, in thorny or uh, shallow ground. And as soon as the seed hit the ground, it sprang up. But when the sun came up, it melted away. And some of the seed fell among thorns. And, and the weeds came up and choked the life out of it. And then he said, and some of the seed fell on good ground. And it brought forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. He says that, that the only real person, the only real true disciple is the one who receives the word. And the word produces supernaturally in their life. So he's been talking about this issue of true and false. And, and, and he gives even another illustration in that 13th chapter of Matthew. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a, like a great net that a fisherman cast into the sea. And he drags in all kinds of fish. And he has to separate the fish because not all fish are good to eat. And so he's talking about the difference between the good, the right, the genuine, and the false. So when we come back here into chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, we see that we're in the middle of Jesus teaching his disciples about the difference between true disciples and false disciples. As he sends them out on a short-term trip, he makes it clear. Now, I want you to understand, the assignment that I'm giving to you is a dangerous assignment. And what makes it a dangerous assignment is I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. And, and, and I don't want you to be harmless like, like wolves. I want you to be wise like serpents. But I want you to be harmless as doves. But you need to be aware of men because they are the wolves. And he goes on to warn them. He said, they're going to do some things to you, boys. He said, your word is not going to always be received. He said, they're going to deliver you up to the synagogues. and They're going to scourge you and whip you. And they're going to bring you before kings. And you're going to be persecuted and tried. He's letting them know that the Christian life is not inherently easy. 
And I think, I think today, in today's world, we have made it too easy. It's easy to become a Christian, but it's not easy to live the Christian life. Not in a world that's so permissive. And so he comes to the point of where we are this morning. And he says, now look, don't think that I have come to bring peace on earth. He said, but I've come to bring a sword. Now, 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 why would he need to say that? Because the disciples in his day, along with all of the Jewish people, knew that when the Messiah came, when the Savior of the world came into the world, that he was to bring peace. That he was to be the Prince of Peace. Matter of fact, that's what the prophet Isaiah had said. He said, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. So, so from Old Testament time on, they knew that when the Messiah came, he was to be a man of peace. And so Jesus wanted his disciples to understand. Now, I don't want you to go out with the false illusion that just because you are related to me or my disciples, that everybody's going to flock at your feet. And that everybody's going to be in love with you or in love with your message. He comes to say that instead there's going to be division. Instead of me bringing peace, I'm going to be the one that will ultimately cause division. Now, it, 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 the way it's written here is written as if that was the intent of his coming. That was not the intent of his coming, but that was the result of his coming. Jesus didn't come to necessarily divide the world into good and bad or into good, right and evil or into fake and real. He just made that be the result of his coming. And when you look around today in today's world, that's what you see. You see people that believe and you see people that don't believe. And, and, and everybody, and this is the one in here, that everybody that said they believe don't believe to the point that they should believe. And that's what the message is about this morning. So he gives these distinctive marks. And look, look at what we've already learned from the 26th verse and 27th verse of the gospel of Matthew chapter 10. He said, he said, he said, listen, the, the disciple is not to be above his Lord, but is to be like his Lord. So he gives in that verse the, the goal of discipleship, the first distinctive mark of a true disciple of Jesus is that he wants to be like Christ. So can you, can you say Christ-likeness? Christ-likeness is the goal. It's, it's, it's not that I act like Christ only on Sunday. Christ-likeness, being like Christ in the way I treat people, in the way that I behave, in the way that I carry myself, is supposed to be how we live every day of our lives. That's the goal of discipleship, is to be a little Christ. When, when the Christians were first called Christians at Antioch, that's what it means. They were Christians, Christians. They were Christ-like people. All right, but then he warns, he warns, he warns. He said, now listen, you need to understand that the more you are like Christ, the more people are going to treat you like they treated Christ. And how did they treat Christ? They talked about him, didn't they? they? Even all the mighty miracles that he did, they said, oh, he's Beelzebub. He comes from the devil. The, the miracles that he does are from the devil. So let me just tell you, just side, you done heard it before. If they talked about Jesus, then you need to understand that people will, what? Talk about you. So there's no reason to get all broken down and bent out of shape when people say things. Okay, if they did it to Jesus, then they are going to do it to you. So when we understand that, instead of getting angry when people say things, it ought to make us rejoice. 
because it means that they recognize something in us that looked like him. So that's a distinctive, that's a distinctive mark of a disciple is that he or she is Christ-like, he or she is treated like Christ, okay? But then we talk about some other things. The, the, the second real distinctive, now this is how real disciples handle themselves in the world. Jesus made it clear that that's going to be pushback. The world is not going to like it. The world is not going to readily accept you. So what he wants disciples to do, the mark, the distinction is, hey, here it is. I'm going to give you five. We've already covered two. I'm going to give you these others today. Okay? Here we go. Number one is that you have to overcome your fear of people. You, you cannot be an effective disciple being afraid to be a witness. If, if you're afraid to tell people about Jesus, you strangle your testimony. You don't want people to know how you got saved. Well, it wasn't because I stopped at Pookie stand on the corner. No, I got saved because I believed in my heart and confessed with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And therefore, he has saved me. Okay? So, so a disciple have to become afraid. Not afraid. You have to get over the fact that people will be hostile. When you stand up here, even when you stand up here, people will look back at you like, don't you say that. Take that back. Don't you mean that? How dare you say that? You have to stand flat-footed and tell people the truth. Okay? So you have to overcome your fears of people. And we gave three reasons why you can overcome those fears. One, because you're going to be vindicated. What's hidden is going to be uncovered. God will vindicate you one day. Second, you will revenerate toward God. You're to love God and worship him so strongly with your heart that you don't have to be afraid of people. You don't have time to worry about people when you got your mind focused on him. And thirdly, you don't have to be afraid of people when you know the value that God has assigned to who you are. He said, you're more than a bird. You know, we talked about that. Are two sparrows sold for a farthing, a penny? And, and, and if God keeps up with the birds of the air and keeps up with the numbers of the hairs on your head, surely he'll keep up with you. Surely he'll protect you. Surely he'll provide for you. Aren't you a more value than a bird? Yes, you are because you have the Son of God living on the inside of you. And that gives you your value. Okay, so, so the true disciple, he, he overcomes his fear of the world. Second, last week we talked about he examines himself. He takes a look. He doesn't worry about judging folk. He examines himself. And then he favors God. That's one in the same process. I look in myself and I would rather be a one who owns God than one who denies him. Jesus said, if you, are, if you own me before men, confess me before men, then I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. And he said, and if you deny me before men, then I will deny you. Before my father which is in heaven. So no matter how the world treats me. I have to look at myself. And I have to know what I believe and who I believe in. And stand on that. And make that be the confession of my life. Not just in my words. But also in my actions. And when I do that. That distinguishes me. And points out. The realness of the discipleship that's in me. Are you following me? Thirdly, and here it is for new for the morning. The third distinctive characteristic or mark or, uh, of a true disciple is that if necessary, he will forsake his family. Now, I'm glad to announce that you don't have to do that. But you got to understand, you, you need to be prepared to if it comes to that. You got to understand that there are some people that won't accept Christ because they are afraid of the peer pressure that comes from families. There are families who put pressure. There are some pagan believers. There are people who don't believe in God. And, and, and they have a whole tradition of that kind of thing. 
And when a person becomes a believer, it can divide a family. I have honestly known people who have had funerals for loved ones because a person became a Christian. And the family said, okay, if you're going to become one of them, then we might as well bury you because you are no good to us. And I want you to understand what you need to understand. We in America, we feel like everybody wants to be a Christian. No, everybody doesn't want to be a Christian. Christianity is only one of seven world religions. And there are a lot of people who are vying for the attention of people. On the streets right now, one of the challenges of young African Americans is what they call black Jews now. They're confusing boatloads of young people thinking that you got to become a Jew in order to be a child of God. No need in going back. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. So you don't have to go back to into Judaism. Yes, there were black people who were Jews. Yes, there were black people in the Bible who practiced Judaism. But that's no good today. Why go back to what Christ has already fulfilled? There are people who are ascribing to Islam. They, they, they believe in Allah. Allah is God. But, you know, I asked a man one day, I said, how is it possible that a sinful man like me can be made right with a holy God? And he said, well, you have to read the Quran. Well, let me tell you what I know. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me hold again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me whiter than snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I can read till I'm blue in my face. If it ain't no blood action, baby, it ain't no cleansing. Are you following me? So you got, you got to understand what you believe and why you believe. And then be willing to stand up in the face of a hostile world and say, I believe in Jesus. And if need be, whatever you want to do, I'm not going to be afraid. Are you following that? I remember era in, in history here in Birmingham where people weren't afraid. And they would stand in the face of dogs and, and hose pipes and they say, ain't going to let nobody turn me around. You know, I'm going to keep on walking, keep on talking because I'm going somewhere. And they believed somehow God would protect them. And now we've gotten a point now we don't want to own Christ. So if it's necessary... If, if, if it's, let's listen to what the Old Testament said. The Old Testament said in the book of Michael and in the book of Malachi that in the last days, the hearts of fathers will turn against their sons and the hearts of mothers will turn against their daughters and the hearts of daughter-in-laws will turn against their mother-in-law and all of that. And it's only because of the belief matter. And if I look around this world today, if I look around this nation today, I see a division. And the division is along the lines of belief. Belief in what's right and belief in what's a lie. And you can look at it any kind of way you want it. You can shape it, you can twist it, you can turn it. But that's what it comes down to. Strip back all of the rhetoric and get down to the bottom line as to why we do and why we don't do. And it's going to come down to who believes the truth and who don't. And that kind of stuff makes it difficult in families. Some families can't even have conversations about this stuff because they get so worked up. Some people on jobs can't even have a decent discussion about it because Christ becomes the divider here. And so what he says is, if it's necessary to hold on to your faith in me and your love for me, then if need be, separate from the family. But you don't have to do that because the idea is bring up a child what? in the way he should go. And when he's old, he would not depart from it. So I don't, I'm not divided from my children and my wife and family along religious lines because we've already covered those grounds. Are you following that? All right. So, so, so look, look at what else he's, he says here. He says now. Uh, not only was Christian be willing to forsake his family if necessary, but fourth, see, look at the distinction. He overcomes his fear of people. He examines himself and favors God. He's going to give the testimony for God and, and not deny God. Thirdly, if necessary, he'll forsake the family to hold on to the love of Christ. 
Verse 38, here's number four. And he that taketh his, not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. What is that? The true disciple follows the call. What's the call? The call is not only with being a Christian. I'm talking about a true Christian, the genuine stuff now. Jesus is putting it down so strong that you can't escape. He said, if you think being separated from family was bad, he said, if you really want to know what a real follower is, a real follower is even willing to give up his life. Wow. Now, I'm not asking nobody to go out and die today. I'm not asking you to do that. Just explaining the passage. Now, when Jesus spoke of taking up your cross and following after him, every one of those men that he was speaking to knew exactly what he was talking about. How did they know? They were from Galilee. Eleven of the twelve disciples were from Galilee, all except Judas of Iscariot. And during their lifetime, there had been another man whose name was Judas, who rose up and led an insurrection against the Romans to try to expel the Romans from the northern part of Israel, Galilee. But under the leadership of that particular Roman general, they crushed that rebellion. And to make them pay and to understand that the Romans weren't playing, he executed or crucified 2,000 Jews. And what he did, he put crosses all along the major roadways that led in and out of the province of Galilee. And when they were executing a person, they made that person put that cross on his back and carry that cross to his own place of execution. So when these men heard Jesus say, if any man come out to me, let him take up his cross, they understood. See, our problem today, we don't understand that. We, we, we think that our cross is that husband or that wife. We think our cross is that hard-haired teenager. We think our cross is that boss or those people that work with me. That's not your cross. You got to put them in another category. Your cross is whether or not you love God enough that if necessary... You are willing to give up your own life. That's what he's saying. That's, now, that's what he's doing, what he's doing, he's, he's, he's not sugarcoating what it means to be a disciple. What he's saying very clearly is there's some rigidity to being a Christ follower. That there's some difficulty, that there's some challenge, that this is not something you can just talk. This is something that must be lived. It's not popular. It's not going to make you laugh. It might not make you stand. It might not make you clap your hand, but it's the truth. If any man, he says, come after me, let him first take up and deny himself. That is, deny his own privilege because he that finds his life, if you're going to duck and save your life, you're going to lose it. But he who loses his life ultimately will gain life, will gain eternal life, will gain favor and position with God. I'm not calling for you to be a martyr today, but I am telling you what the scripture teaches about what are the distinctive Characteristics and marks of a true disciple. Now, let me, let me be honest with you. Let me be honest with you. We all sometimes have lapses into and as to the degree in which we're willing to stand up strong. There are times when we know we ought to speak up and we don't always do that. There are times when we know that we should, should own Christ as the living Lord. And we don't always do that because it's not always popular or convenient. And there are times when we know that we even should disagree with a family member. But there are times we'll go along 
to get along. And so we have these lapses. We have these periods of time where our strength and our resolve to be a follower of Christ is not where it needs to be. What should we do in those times? We, we, we should pray. We should repent. We should ask God for mercy and for help to help us. Now, I, I remember one time, man, when I was pledging, when I was pledging fraternity in college back in the day when they were hazing. I mean, they were kicking people mm -hmm, for real. And, and that was a guy, man. That was a guy, one of the, one of the big brothers. His, his name was James Whitaker. He, he, he had a black belt in karate, and he was crazy. He was, man. And it was, it was a guy on our line that had a speech impediment. He couldn't, he couldn't speak correctly. And, and Whit wanted him to say, good morning, big brother James Whitaker. And for the life of him, he couldn't say it right. He said, big girl, good morning, good brother James Whitaker. And man, Whit would just go in on it, man. And he had him on the ground one time. And all of us were standing out. And, and we know we were supposed to help our brother, you know. You're supposed to get in there and take some of it for him. And, man, that day, man, I was standing there. I said, I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to save my brother. And I was getting ready to go. And just at that time, Whit turned and looked at me. I stood right back up. <laughs> I said, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want none of that. <laughs> you understood? I, I had taken enough for myself. So that's the way it is sometimes with us in these lapses in our Christianity. Sometimes we know we need to go. But then we just stand back up. So we have to. It doesn't make us proud. It makes us feel ashamed. It makes us hurt. It makes us say, God, what's wrong with me? I thought I was a better man than that. I thought I needed to be more committed than that. And so we have to pray in those times. God, help me. I remember, man, even as a young administrator, school administrator, I had some people on my staff who were old enough to be my mama and daddy and grandmama and all of them. And, and, and they wouldn't do nothing, this young boy said. And I remember praying, Lord, I just need some more bulldog in me to make them folk do. And God spoke the thing that changed my life. He said, son, if you had more bulldog, you're going to act like a bulldog. So you'd be lacerating and cutting people. He said, what you need is the integrity to tell the truth. And, and when I got enough courage to be able to speak the truth and speak the truth in love, it changed everything. I found out that I didn't have to be more bulldogish. I just needed to be clear in the communication and honest in the communication and above the board in the communication. And if necessary, even using humor in the communication. And that's what God requires. That he knows you. He knows your frame. He knows it. So let me ask this question, and i got to move to a close. So is the Christian life, is being a disciple all about being a confrontive person? Is it all about making people angry and dividing people? All of that's negative. I would say it has that element to it, but that is not all that there is. There is a positive element to being a true disciple, and that is to be a person, number five, who values rewards. A, a true disciple values rewards because God has done it. God says, I'm sending you out. And sometimes in the process of going out, we may not be able to reward people who receive from us, but God does. Listen at what he says, and this is why we must value them, because God says if you go out and you give that message and a person receives you, that person actually has not only received you, but has received me also. Now, how many know that Jesus in John 14 has said, I and the Father are one. 
and we come that we may make our abode in you. So when a person accepts you, they not only accept you, but they also accept the one who sent you, who is the Father, who is the Son, who is the Holy Spirit. And not only do they benefit from the message that you gave, but they benefit from having the presence of God now living on the inside. And what that means is that God has just made you a blesser. Because when you go out and you carry the message and a person receives the message, they get blessed, number one, by the message that you gave. They get blessed, number two, by the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. And they get blessed because God promises them eternal life. God sets you up. Yes, he puts you on the line, but he sets you up because he makes you be the salt of the earth. He makes you be the light of the world. He makes it possible that men may come out of darkness through the message that comes through you. And it just blows my mind that God would choose to use a little ragged, crazy human being like me to carry his message to bless somebody else. Anybody know that I'm blessed? You blessed? When I look around me, I realize that I'm blessed. I got eyes I can see. I got legs I can walk. I got hands I can clap. I got a mouth that I can talk. And God uses it all to be a blessing to somebody else. And what I love most, what I love most, what I love most is the God that I represent is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you are able to ask for or think. Can I translate that? That simply means he specializes in doing what seems impossible. And when I go to your sick room and the doctor has told you that there's nothing else they can do, but I'll remind you that God specializes in things that seem impossible. Or I see you and you're going through a trial and I tell you that God will heal you. God will raise you. God will open a door because he does what seems impossible. Can I tell you he will? Anybody know he will? Anybody ever had God to do something that seemed impossible to you, but he came through? Listen, that was a woman. I thought about it after 8 o'clock message this morning. Her name in the Bible was Sarah. Angel showed up at her tent one day and said, Sarah, I know your husband is 100, and I know you're 90. But girl, I just came by to tell you that you're going to have a baby. And she laughed. She said, ain't no way. And, and, and the angel said to her, don't you know that with God, nothing shall be impossible. But she said, I, I, I checked the record. And I just never heard of it before. Never heard of a 90-year-old woman being able to bear a child. I didn't see a TV documentary on it. I didn't find it in the archives, in the library, where a woman has ever given birth past a certain age. But he wanted her to know that with God, nothing shall be impossible. Listen, just hang around, Sarah. You ain't got to do much. A year later, Sarah was pushing forth a baby. All her friends in town, they were laughing because they saw her pregnant. They said, girl, how'd you do that? Abraham popping his suspenders. He tell them, hey. You know, and they said, how do you? He said, 100. And he said, how in the world you got a child? You 100. He said, with God, <laughs> nothing shall be impossible. Listen, I just want to know today, have you any rivers that you think are uncrossable? Do you have any mountains that you think uncrossable. I just came to tell somebody today by way of encouragement that God specializes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In things they just seem impossible. 
children of Israel were enslaved 430 years. Didn't seem that it was going to be possible for them to get out. God sent a renegade named Moses down there to tell the most powerful monarch on earth. I said, let my people go. And in a few weeks there, after a while, the people of Israel came out. Pharaoh's army got beside themselves. They said, we got them now. The mountains got them hemmed in and the Red Sea got them trapped. We know we can come upon them, but the children of Israel started crying. Oh, God, this seemed to be impossible. Moses said, shut up. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He lifted up his rod, and God opened the water. Go on, he do it. I just tell you, it just seemed impossible. God has opened some waters for me. God has opened some doors for me. God has brought me out of some situations that I didn't think I could get out of. God has produced life in me when I thought life wasn't going to be there no more. God will do it. I'm trying to tell somebody, he will. Anybody know he will? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. He'll stand you up when they shook their head. I was in Baylor Hospital in Houston, Texas, and the doctor came over my bed in the intensive care unit and he said, I don't think this boy is going to go back to Birmingham. But quietly under my skin, I was saying, oh, yes, I am, because I know somebody who can do what I can't do. And in the midnight hour, God came along and assured me and said, boy, you ready to be pastor of this church? I said, God, I thought I was. I said, but I tell you what, if you raise me up, and if you take me back, I won't make no more excuse. Here I am. Here I am. Signed, sealed, and delivered. I'm yours, baby. Because the Lord does what seemed to be impossible. I know I got to go. Just got to leave you right now. But I just want somebody to know. I need somebody over here to know. He'll do it. Yes, he will. I need somebody over here to know. He'll do it. I need somebody over here to know. He'll do it. I need somebody over here to know. He'll do it. I need somebody up there to know he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it again and again and again. Just be true. Just be true. Be a true disciple. And if need be committed, and if need be, then separate yourself from others that can't handle where you are in your faith but God loves you and God cares just simply going to open the doors of the church and while we sing I'm going to give somebody an opportunity to make good on their faith God specializes today in things that seem impossible come on my brother have you come on big brother any river just listen slow it down and listen a little bit down that you feel are uncrossable that's for somebody who's facing an impossible situation and have you any mountain yes, yes. that you cannot tunnel through God specializes, yes, in things, things that seem impossible. Oh, and He, He will do what no other power. No other power can do. Come on, help us here. Tell us, tell us, tell us another situation. Oh, and have you ever been down, down on your bed of affliction? Take your time, son. Take your time. Oh, and you're a doctor. <laughs> Your doctor's done all, all he can do. I tell you that God, my God specializes oh, in things. Things that seem like 
they're impossible. Oh, and he will do. He will do. He will do. Well, no other power. I'm talking about God's Holy Ghost power. Yes, can do. Oh, I know God. sometimes is hard. It has those distinctive marks that distinguishes between the genuine and the real and the unreal, between the true and the false. But don't give up because if you value rewards, God will make you the source of blessing. Go out this week and be a blessing. Go out this week and be the source that God will use to bring others into the saving knowledge. In the face of growing challenges in our nation, there's a greater need now more than ever for men and women to be true in their faith and in their understanding of the mission that God has sent us on. And may you do well as you go forward into the week. Brings our service to a close. Hope you enjoyed the broadcast. You have been listening to a message from the Greater Shallow Missionary Baptist Church, where we are reaching the world for Christ. Located at 2135 Jefferson Avenue Southwest, Birmingham, Alabama 35211. For a copy of a CD or DVD, you can reach us at 205-925-5972 or visit us on the web at www.greatershallow.org. For an uplifting message, please join us for the next broadcast.